Hi! Welcome to episode two of the Broken Pencil Podcast. In this edition, you'll hear some sexy, deadly poetry and song. We'll also speak with the creator of a comic series that focuses on characters living with mental illness. Plus, learn how to work from home and stay focused and creative at the same time. Pro tip, don't work in your underwear. The music from today's podcast comes from the Mouth Breathers, a band from Sackville, New Brunswick. You can read more about them in our current issue or visit them online at themouthbreathers.bandcamp.com. In June, we teamed up with the Canadian Music Festival North by Northeast to present a night of performances here in Toronto called Sex and Death. Together, we assembled a motley crew of musicians, poets, fiction writers, and artists who agreed to present their sexiest and or most morbid work. Here's a snippet of sound from that evening featuring supervillain poetry and a ghostly ballad. Or, you know, just 
be in the line of fire, and for some reason that appeals to me. Bullseye. Slinging ink, ballistic, ace, clips, carotid, eat lead, eye through cornea, telescopic sights, anti-personnel rounds, cranium, buckles, spat, a shattered tooth, no shackle, no straight jacket dulls your accuracy. All trigger finger, snarling, flintlock, I recoil, each wink, projectile. was Natalie Zena Walshots reading from her book Doom, Love Poems for Supervillains, and Guelph musician Gregory Pepper. <laughs> Last year, an artist in Toronto named Seraphin self-published her first graphic novel. It's called Asylum Squad Side Story. She created most of the book while she was a patient at the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, or CAMH. The book is a look at the adventures of four characters, each existing within their own distinct world of psychosis. Seraphin recently launched a sequel to the first Asylum Squad book during Mad Pride Week here in Toronto. She came by the Broken Pencil office a while back, and we talked about the comics, the characters, and how they related to her own experiences in treatment. Can you, can you take me back to the period when you, um, when you first imagined these characters? Because I know this, you being in CAMH, that was not the first time that they 
had appeared, you had thought of them and conceived them yeah. a bit before. Okay, so I first conceived of these characters in high school for an incarnation of the comic that is nothing like the current version. It was kind of a... To best, to, to best describe it, it was a... Girl Interrupted meets Sailor Moon. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. the characters were uh, myself and three friends from high school that I just sort of tweaked and made these crazy characters with. And they are nothing like the the versions now. There's some similarities, but it was very kind of like pseudo-manga kind of like... Um, I don't really like to show anybody the old work because it really doesn't represent what I my mindset about about psychiatry and mental health system is now. I was going to redo the first version, but then I was looking at it while I was in CAMH, and I thought, um, this is not really what it, the direction I want to go in anymore. So I just revamped the characters and I, I based their their illnesses on experiences of my own, but I also created fiction, so I, it wasn't a straight-to-book memoir because I felt it would be too raw to talk about everything that was um, really going on. It's, it, it's a lot of what I've been through, and it's a lot of what the psychotic experience is like applied to four characters. I think CAMH touts itself as this progressive... Um, corporation or institution rather but um, when you actually see the environment that some of these patients not not all the walls are, not all the wards are 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 absolutely terrible but a lot of them are the one that I was on for 11 months it's just soul crushing like there's low ceilings bad lighting that it's filthy uh, it, it's it's just it looks like a prison kind of like a cross between a prison and an old folks home kind of thing. I didn't feel like I was really being heard in that environment. I didn't feel that anybody respected my, my beliefs and what was really going on with me. So I could reach out on the web, and that's what I did when I posted the comics, and then I started to hear back from people. Um, and uh, so I found that it was a way of being heard. When there was no, by the way, there was no art therapy in the hospital. There was like no rec therapy on that ward, nothing. So it was something that I appointed myself. No, no doctor said, why don't you make a comic book or anything? It was just me doing it because I thought I need to do something with myself here. I feel like months have gone by where I'm just sitting here watching The Price is Right. <laughs> you know, there's like nothing to do. So I used a blog and I reached out and that's how I, I started feeling like a human being again. The... Uh, first character in the comic who is introduced is Liz Matter and uh, her problem is that she using occult techniques such as a Ouija board in her her belief is that she um, let a demon into her house or to, to dress, <laughs> into her life into her house jeez uh, the demon name being Armanan Stantanu which is something that because I have a um, I was channeling and then that was a name that came out so I used it in the comic so Henry Chan, who is a, a Chinese cross-dresser with a Jewish messiah complex, it's based on some delusions that I had that were about being a messianic figure, and I just heard voices saying, you are the Jewish messiah, and it was like a voice that sounded like Mel Brooks that was saying to me, and it was so funny that I thought, and I never bought into that delusion, like some of them that came through, I was like, yeah, whatever. Because it's, it's very, it's like a very kind of, you're almost like trapped in a dream when you're in these states. And I don't know, it's like some of the delusions were more 
overpowering than others and they brought fear into my life and I really feared that they could be true. I couldn't just say, oh, this is all crazy and snap out of it. It doesn't really work that way for many people who have these these bizarre psychic states. Um, it's like being in a dream where anything goes. This comic in particular was more of a sort of like, it was something I had to put out before I could move on and do comics the way that I used to do them, but not the same same story, but like just like comic comics that flow. Like this was an, an experiment that I had to do, um, and I felt that it was an important piece. Maybe not uh, the most easy to read pieces we've talked about, but um, I wanted to really express what it is like to be in these states. And I've actually had a lot of doctors and mental health people and survivors and mad people who have really supported this book because they feel it's very realistic and very honest. And so I wanted an honest piece of work that perhaps would go down as a, as a mad pride relic someday, who knows, you know, in, in the lit world. You can read all of Seraphin's book, Asylum Squad's Side Story, at thepsychosisdiaries.com, and you can also read her new book, Asylum Squad Monster Hospital, at asylumsquad.com, and you can order a print copy of the book there too. Baby, you just give me fever. I can't get no relief. Baby, you just give me fever. Baby, you just give me fever. I see the light like a thief. Cause baby, you just give me fever. In our most recent issue, artist Dakota McFadzian drew us a comic about how to work from home as a creative freelancer. Some of his tips include, put all your supplies away when you're done for the day, never buy anything, and for God's sake, stay away from those videos of baby goats. I caught up with Dakota over Skype to get a little more insight about how he manages to survive as a work-at-home freelancer and why it might be worth a shot for you. You know, you have some really good advice in this piece. Um, all stuff that I've heard before, but you know, you sort of explained it in a way that is, um, you know, all of these separate things to put together. Because I think people always have like, you know, there's always articles like, this is what you should do if you work from home. Um, and I like that, but, you know, you had like certain, you relinquished certain things, like you were like, get dressed, but then you were like, also work in your underwear sometimes. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I think I said this at the end of the comic too, but it's, everything's a contradiction as well. So I get really excited by those articles that, you know, try to pump you up and feel good about what you're doing, but it's also sort of the realization that everybody's, you know, going to find their own way of doing things, or you can give people all of the advice in the world, but ultimately it's sort of, you need to find what works for you because, you know, everybody's different. What would you say is the biggest obstacle for you working from home, whether it be you know, the goat videos that you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> those are those are a big distraction. I'm, I'm onto cockatiels now because I found uh, a cockatiel that sings the theme from My Neighbor Totoro to piano accompaniment. So I've been watching that pretty heavily for the last couple weeks and it hasn't burned out yet. Um, yeah, I don't know. For me, 
uh, I guess the funny thing about doing that comic is that I absolutely ignored all of my advice to get it done on time. Uh, it was I, in Montreal. I was in the middle of a heat wave, so I wasn't getting really dressed in, much in the morning, and I was putting in long hours, and I was juggling a lot of different projects and not spending any time on my own projects. Uh, so, yeah, I think that time balance thing has been the thing I've been struggling with the most. And over the last year, it's the first time that I've freelanced 100% full-time. Like, I finished my master's uh, just over a year ago, and I've been freelancing from home since then. So it's been sort of a constant negotiation of back and forth of, like, too much free time, too much sitting on my hands to, like, the complete opposite of that, of not having any time to even, you know, go outside or relax or just spend 20 minutes at the end of the day reading for fun or something like that, you know? Um, I'm glad you said that because I think sometimes people have this idea of freelancing from home that you have, like, this really luxurious life where you're just, you know, every day you're just like, oh, I'll get up at, like, 10.30 and, you know, you're just like, oh, I'll just eat a sandwich or I'll just do this. And um, I think sometimes what people don't realize is that it's really, um, it's feast or famine. Like, sometimes you can have so much work and you're so insanely busy and you're even busier than if you had a day job. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then sometimes you're like, uh, I've, I've, I have nothing. So then you actually have all this time to swim and do whatever. But then after a while, you're like, Jesus Christ, like, when am I going to get work again? Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, it's a mixed blessing, right? Because as soon as freelance work drops, it's, it's like, oh, great, now I have time to do all my own projects that I've been waiting to do. And you can, you know, jump headfirst into that. But the, the wallet starts to feel pretty slim after <laughs> a couple of weeks of doing that. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, that's really the worst part. There's definitely a lot to like about it. And, you know, I do like being able to, you know, if I decide to work late, I can do that. And, you know, if I feel like going for a walk in the afternoon, I can do that. But finding that balance is the worst. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is really hard. And how often would you say that you actually, like, if you could do, like, a ratio balance of the working in clothes and working in underwear, <laughs> what would you say that balance would be? Um, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of getting up and showering and getting dressed and making your bed and, and, you know, like, I try really hard to pretend that I'm at a real workplace because if I've sort of tricked myself into thinking that my home is a real workplace, then it becomes a real workplace and I tend to take my own work more seriously because of it. Um, I've heard things about, you know, uh, the cartoonist Seth who, you know, he gets dressed in his proper suit every day to work from home just so that he feels like he's going to work. And, you know, I just wear a t-shirt and jeans or whatever, but I still feel like I'm presentable to the world. And that's just something that sort of works for me. I mean, I know a lot of people just work in their comfy sitting around the house pants, but um, when I first tried to uh, freelance full-time a number of years ago, I would just stay in my pajamas all day. And I struggled to, to figure out when I was at work and when I wasn't. And you really need to sort of give yourself clear signs that this is work hours, I'm taking this seriously, I'm on the clock right now, I can't just grab coffee with somebody because I'm at work, you know? You can read Dakota's comic, Work From Home, for fun and profit, in the current issue of Broken Pencil. You can also pick up his first book, Other Stories, and The Horse You Rode In On, which is coming out on Conundrum Press in October 2013. And that's it for this installment of the Broken Pencil podcast. Thanks for listening, and please be sure to check out the Mouth Breathers, a band from Sackville, New Brunswick, 
who gave us so much music for this episode from their album Appetite for Deconstruction. You can find them online at themouthbreathers.bandcamp.com. Thanks and see you next time. To our reliable cart. Cause we got